it's what drives you to think that you have the right to lead people is like, I know how to do this or I can do this better. Mm-hmm. And then you learn pretty quickly that if you try to maintain that kind of vision that you're the smartest person in the room or you're the one who knows how to do everything, it's incredibly limiting because you're relating to your collaborators as just extensions of you. Right. And a means to an end. Yeah, means to an end. And you can't get the most out of the collaboration unless you surrender. Welcome to The Art of We, the podcast where we explore how committed partnerships can be potent vehicles for fully delivering our gifts to the world. Hi, I'm Krista Vanderveer, a seasoned consultant and executive coach. And I'm Dr. Will Vanderveer, a leader and educator in integrative mental health and wellness. As husband and wife and business partners, we keep learning that the key to maximizing our authenticity and impact in the world lies inside the health, security, and depth of our relationship. On this show, we'll pull back the curtains to share lessons, insights, and practices from our own marriage and professional careers that help us thrive. If you're a leader, founder, or overachiever, and you want to leverage your relationships for personal and collective growth, then you're in the right place. Welcome to The Art of We, episode number 55. On this episode, we are going to have a guest on that I'm going to interview. You've never heard of this person before, if you've listened to us before. His name is Dr. Will Vanderveer. I'd like to walk, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah. We're going to have a little bit of a different format today, which is going to be super fun. And I'm going to interview my beloved husband, about his journey of going through being in more of what we're calling kind of like the me to we transition inside of a professional career. And by me, we're going to start out by talking about his earlier days as a psychiatrist with a solo practice, as a solo decision maker, really thinking about what he needs to do to be successful and evolving into his journey as a leader who's not in a solo practice, but in a big organization with a co-founder and needing to really come from a we perspective. Like, how are we going to succeed as a company? What's best for the company? It's a very different mindset. So we just want to share Will's journey about what it's taken to evolve in that way. How does that sound, Dr. Vanderveer? <laughs> Sounds great. It's been quite a journey for sure. Happy to share. Great. So let's just first start back to when you were a solo practitioner. And by that, we mean you graduated medical school and then you started your own psychiatry practice. And it was just you as the main psychiatrist, correct? Yeah, it was me as the only psychiatrist and the <laughs> only person answering the phones, the only person calling in prescriptions. So I had the great privilege to be able to start a private practice right out of my training between medical school and that time was four years of residency training psychiatry. So many people, because of student loans, are forced to work in rather unsatisfactory conditions for mental health centers and managed care organizations and you know places where you have to push pills and see everybody 15-minute appointments and carry hundreds or even thousands of patients under your caseload. So I luckily had support to not do that. And so I started private practice and I was a one-man band like so many business owners, I would say, are. 
mm-hmm. uh, the one employee owner operator model. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a lot of flexibility. It allowed me to introduce integrative medicine into my practice, do a lot of really fun and innovative things with my patients. But it was a grind to not have any support. And the success of the endeavor was really very much about me. It was about my reputation. It was about word of mouth referrals. It was about wanting to be one of the best providers in town, mm-hmm. you know, someone everyone wanted to see. And I had a lot of success in that way. Yeah, you actually did a really good job of that. Before I was in, set up to go on a date with you by your business partner and friends, Emma and Keith, I had heard about you as the psychiatrist in town to see if somebody needed some support with their mental health. You were well known, and at least in the circles I was in. So, But the, the reason for talking about this too is to really talk about in that kind of model, and even though you ended up hiring an assistant at some point, you hired some staff members to support the practice. I'm assuming that you were really in a mindset of doing everything for your success. I mean, obviously you wanted everybody to succeed, but it wasn't like thinking about the bigger collective of how are we going to succeed because it was such a small team. Is that correct? Absolutely. It was still a very kind of all about me mindset. And even when I hired practitioners who could see patients and who I taught how to run specialized testing and who had the credentials to prescribe medication and and do things similarly to how I was treating patients, it was still very much a, a mindset of, you know, how do I meet the needs of this community? How do I expand the work? How do I, right. it was all about me. It was all about I. And even though there's nothing wrong with that and you did a great job of having an impact in the way that you did, I would think that it's pretty stressful to be like, this is all on my shoulders. This is up to me to succeed. This is up to me to train the people to do it right. Like a whole load of challenging mindset from a me perspective. I have to do this to succeed kind of thing. Is that correct? Yeah. And it was. And the staff members that I hired over a series of years really helped me to open up my schedule and allowed me to start doing the teaching that eventually led to the institute that we run now. So I'm very grateful for the support and the collaboration there. But it wasn't, as you say, it wasn't a mindset yet in in me as a leader of how do we succeed? How does this organization succeed? It was still very much a, these people are helping me with my vision or my mission. Yeah. So what I would like to hear from you is about that journey, because I think it's different for everybody. But I think on a developmental model, it's really important for us as human beings to go from this me to we perspective, whether it's in career and family, in our culture, in the world. So I just get really curious about learning from you what the journey for you has been like now X amount of years later, having a company with a lot of staff, a lot of faculty, a co-founder, 
working with people literally all around the world. Imagining where you were at the height of your solo practice to where you are today, I would imagine your mindset has needed to change quite a bit. Is that accurate? Absolutely. The mindset I had back in those days that it's all about me, I knew that I wasn't going to be successful in fulfilling the mission of what we set out to do with the Institute of training, you know, tens of thousands of practitioners. And we knew that we were going to need a robust team. And, you know, now we have dozens of employees and well over a hundred contractor people working and in, you know, kind of a symphony together. So it became an imperative to discover how to do that. And really our relationship supported that transition more than anything else, I would say. I mean, that's, there's no way that I could have made that transition without you and the the way that you and I are committed to running our partnership together for the success of the organism of our partnership. And I mean, as an overall statement, the part of the change in me around the Institute and having a more we mindset there is stepping into working on the organism of the Institute rather than only working in the organism of the Institute. Mm -hmm. Having team members, our team is incredible. I mean, we have amazing people working with us that can carry out a lot of the day-to-day, almost almost entirely carry out the day-to-day needs of inside the Institute. So I can work with Keith on how do we charting a course ahead? Where where do we want to expand into? How are we going to get there? Taking care of the health of the organism mm-hmm. in different ways, whether it's relational health or financial health. So many things that need to be taken care of. Yeah. And I love the way you're talking about it because it points to what we mean by we here, which is something that an entity in, in the best word I can find that transcends but also includes everybody who is participating inside of that entity. And so when you're looking at what's best for the organization, the organism, you're looking through a wider lens of what the organism needs versus, well, what do I need to get my needs met in this situation? Or what does the team need only for what they need? It's a very different landscape. Definitely. I always visualize this image of an organism like a body, like a human body, where the different organs inside the body are working together to support the success of the greater mission. And at certain times, this is especially true in the brain, when a part of the brain gets injured, another part of the brain can pick up and take over that function, which is totally incredible. The brain can do that. But the point of the metaphor is that you know, when, oh, it just happened this week. In fact, it was yesterday, you know, someone at the clinic had a thing happening that they needed to take the day off. And, you know, I was working and I was going to be there anyway. So it wasn't any stress on me to, to medically cover the ketamine service in the clinic so we can all succeed together. And, you know, patients don't need to be canceled because, it's a small example. So yeah. just the way we can all work together for the success of what we're trying to do together. 
I'd love to get into the specific nuances in your development as a leader in terms of what's been pretty hard and what you've learned from your own self-development. If we can get in there with you a little bit, but I first would love to take a quick break. And when we come back, would you be willing to share some of those things? Absolutely. Okay, great. I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break to let you know about a gift we created for you and your partner. We compiled our top 10 relationship agreements, agreements that have been so powerful in supporting the success of our partnership that we even turned them into our wedding vows. These agreements help us stay connected, growing, and thriving as a couple, and they've been critical to help us create a kind of we that's way beyond what we've ever experienced before. You can download this free gift at kristavanderveer.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-A-V-A-N-D-E-R-V-E-E-R.com. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, it would be so meaningful to us if you left us a rating and review. Not only does it help others find us, but it gives us critical feedback on how we're doing. Thanks in advance. And now back to the episode. Welcome back. We are talking about the opportunity and challenge that one gets to go through from expanding their perspective from more of a siloed me and my success and who am I and what I need to do to a bigger, more collective we perspective of what do we need to do in order to be successful? What does the we need here? What does the organism need here? Who do I need to be so I can serve the we better so we can succeed? It's a very big developmental journey. And so, Will, you are sharing about your journey. And I'd love to hear if you have any tangible examples of what were some of the harder tangible moments in your journey of going from a me perspective to a we perspective in your leadership. Well, I think the biggest challenge for me has been my mind and switching that me perspective to a we perspective felt really and continues to feel scary for me sometimes. I think there was uh, a lot of security, maybe you could say false security in the sense of doing it myself and having the work I was doing in the world depend on me and only me. And I had to really confront the fact that if I wanted to have the impact that I wanted to have, I was going to have to learn how to rely on other people to do some of the things that I needed for them to do so we could grow and we could impact more people. And for me, it was a huge fear. First of all, it feels really vulnerable to ask people to do things in support of really, it feels more vulnerable now as I think about it from more of a we perspective, feels a lot more vulnerable to ask people to do things that are going to benefit me only. Mm-hmm. It feels, because I've crossed over mostly to this more we perspective in the business, it feels a lot easier for me to ask people to do things that are necessary for the success of the overall organization. Mm-hmm. But it's always felt really tender to let people know that I think this X, Y, or Z needs to be done. Even if it's for the good of the whole. It's a lot easier when when I'm in touch with the big why and the big the big mission, it's not hard at all to ask people to do things for that. Right. 
I feel great about that. But there's still a younger part of me that is scared of what's going to happen when I ask someone to do something or tell them that something needs to be done. And so that's, for me, probably the biggest, it's almost like a little bit of an imposter syndrome of like, who am I to lead this charge? And is the fear, what's the fear there that they would go away, that they would be like, screw you, I don't want to do something for you? Like what would... <laughs> I think it's just a lot of, there's a social anxiety in me that, I mean, I knew it was there, but when I set out on this journey to collaborate and create a, an organization that could impact, hopefully, been the arc of global mental health care, it just flared up big time because now I was facing my own limitations in a much more direct way. I think it's a really big stretch for a lot of people to go from thinking that they could do the thing better, like whether it's a marketing sequence or it's a program development or something, to then being able to hand over because they trust the person or the people to somebody else who could actually do it, not exactly how you would do it, but potentially even better. Yeah. Or harness the collective intelligence of everybody in the room to make it better. Absolutely. I think this is an essential transformation of any leader. I think people who have enough confidence to try to lead other people, I think pretty much universally need to have an idea that they can do it better than someone else at the beginning. It's what drives you to think that you have the right to lead people is like, I know how to do this or I can do this better. Mm -hmm. And then you learn pretty quickly that if you try to maintain that kind of vision that you're the smartest person in the room or you're the one who knows how to do everything, it's incredibly limiting because you're relating to your collaborators as just extensions of you. Right. And a means to an end. Yeah, means to an end. And you can't get the most out of the collaboration unless you surrender to the vulnerability and you can have agreements in place to support that to go well, of course, but mm -hmm. it feels really vulnerable to delegate something to someone that, you know, you know, you can do really well, but you're trusting that person to do even better and expecting them to do even better than you could ever do. Yeah. So it's, that's a very different psychology. You reminded me of this show that we're watching. It's called Billions. If any of you have listening have seen this show, there's this guy in this in the series right now whose name is Mike Prince, who's running for president. And he's in my projection, he's the guy who thinks he's the best and the smartest and the only person who can XYZ ever in the whole entire world. It just reminds me of of the limitation of when there's that person in the room. They're not actually tapping into the intelligence and wisdom of the whole. Yeah. And that comes to we can the phrase that you and I often use, which is we can do more than I can. It just feels like such an essential perspective to take on inside of this we conversation. Yeah, for me, inside of my head, it's the, this I can do more than we can is, is a trauma pattern. It's a pattern of whatever the cues were in the environment that taught me that I needed to rely on myself, you know, other people are not safe to rely on or 
collaborate with whatever the cues were. If you think about a natural environment, like an ecological space, there's no such thing as a an organism in that space that thinks they can do, like the fox doesn't think I can do better than the bear or the oak can't do better than the pine tree, right? It's like a really weird psychology when you think about the natural environment. Hmm. What about the silverback? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, we've been watching gorilla videos recently. It's really fun for me. My mom and I used to really love watching monkey videos when I was a little kid. It never left me, but you know, the, the silverback has an important referee kind of job. He's got other jobs too, but it's cool to watch examples in the animal kingdom of a leader like a silverback operating from this wee perspective of, you know, somebody needs to be put in their place because it's going to be harmful to the rest of the group if I don't do that. I love that perspective. I don't know the, the silverback species well enough to know <laughs> totally where they're coming from. But the one, the videos we've been watching have been essentially part of that, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. What about being so reliant on so many people in order to have the system work and to actually have the kind of impact desired that at times I've heard you fear that you may not be relevant Well, it comes right back to the ego again, doesn't it? (laughs) There's a relief in disappearing from the middle of the bullseye of like what's going on and having the the mission and the impact of the organization be the main event. Mm -hmm. There's a relief in that, but there's also this feeling of annihilation maybe or fear of remaining relevant or even known, you know? And so it's, it's bittersweet, you know, it's like there's a role to play and uh, the ego has a set of responsibilities that it's good at, but it is a lot less important than it thinks it is. So that has been an interesting phenomenon to work with in my mind. And from the outside, not being in the day-to-day operations, it's so very clear about how essential you are and each person is in order to succeed. It's such a deeply meaningful process to watch people grow and take on more responsibility and deeper capacity for holding aspects of what we're doing. And I guess it's a a part of growing up psychologically is taking more pleasure in mentoring and coaching people than taking all the credit <laughs> for the <laughs> for the things that I used to do. So it seems like a sign of good progress. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a growing up in a certain way. The problem with taking the credit is you also get the blame. And so yeah. it's again just uh it's it's really delightful to get to share share in the blame. Share in the responsibility (laughs) and the blame. Share in the success. And, you know, to go into a meeting and, you know, ask a question of like, well, how are we going to fix this? Rather than, right, here's how we're going to fix this or totally go do this or. Right. Or you better figure the freak out. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, something's going to happen. Something bad's going to happen. Yeah. It's palpable. You know, I can feel it in my body as a deeper relaxation at the end of a day when I have a meeting with some of our leaders 
and you know we come to a decision together that really oftentimes isn't has nothing to do with my ideas so it's it's feeling good overall <laughs> well, I really want to give you credit because I would say that the majority of companies are not actively practicing this we perspective and your capacity to bring this into the company it's not just you I know Keith's leading this too but to bring this invitation into the company for our successes, your successes are my successes, my successes are your successes and failures and blames and all the things versus being more of the I perspective where there's blame, there's huge mistakes that happen because we're not using our collective intelligence, we're not making decisions together, we're not checking in when that hard things happen. Like there's a lot of downsides to a company that operates mostly from an I perspective and in my experience, it's the leaders who are able to decide what kind of culture they're going to cultivate and invite the employees into that kind of culture. Well, thanks for that reflection. I think it's particularly important for us in the space that we're in and what we stand for, you know, the healing of trauma, for example, globally, that we're going to operate internally in a way that's aligned with what we're trying to accomplish in the world, you know, it's definitely not always easy to live up to that, but it's exciting to be on the journey, you know, and to be in that learning process every day. About being in it with you. Feel really grateful. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for sharing and being revealed here with us today. And for those of you who are interested, we just really encourage you to start thinking about where you could have more of a we perspective and what the benefits might be of that, taking that on, whether it's inside of your partnership at home or inside of your company. Even if you're not the leader in the company, there's ways that you can start to cultivate that we perspective. And we're happy to share more about that if you want to reach out to us at kristavandevere.com. But for now, just take a look to see what the benefits would be for taking on a greater we perspective. Yeah, I think it follows what you're saying follows the formula that if you want to have a bigger expression or a bigger impact in the world that involves needing to rely on other people, mm -hmm. by definition, you're going to have to grow and you're going to have to face some of the scars or limitations or psychological pieces that maybe are okay to not face and deal with in a solo environment. but you start trying to shift that, it's, um, it's intense for a while. <laughs> I remember the moment you said to me a couple years ago where I had paused my psychotherapy that I was getting for some months <laughs> at that point, and you said to me, I'll never forget this, well, I think it's time for you to get a little psychological support. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, in that, well, that's a great example. In that moment, it was like, okay, something is not getting enough support inside of are we? And at that time, there was like high need in the business. There was high need with us going through this house remodel. Yeah. And looking at the whole, it's like, okay, there are holes inside of our, our we right now. And how can we fill those holes? What does the we need right now? And it needs more <laughs> psychotherapy. <laughs> deep, deep gratitude for my <laughs> psychotherapist who I'm still seeing. Yeah. And probably will for a long time. Yeah. It helps us stay healthy and on track and yeah. showing up for each other. I have my support systems too. <laughs>
Okay. Thanks for joining us and we will see you next week. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us. If you found this content valuable, please follow the show and share it with your partner or other key collaborators. If the show has sparked an interesting conversation based on these topics, we'd love to hear from you. Find us on Instagram at Art of We Podcast. And we'll see you next time when we explore what it means to be better together, like butter and toast on the Art of We.